The Man Who Was Thursday, A Nightmare, by G.K. Chesterton. Episode 4, The Earth in Anarchy. Dr. Bull quickly led us outside to a waiting cab. I had already arranged to go to France for my lunch, but I am delighted to have someone to lunch with. You see, I had to send that beast, the Marquis, over with his bomb because the President had his eye on me, though God knows how. I'll tell you the story someday. It was perfectly choking. Whenever I tried to slip out of it, I saw the president somewhere, smiling out the window of a club or, or tipping his hat to me from on top an omnibus. You can say what you like, but that fellow sold himself to the devil. He can be in six places at once. So you sent the Marquis off, I understand. Was it long ago? Shall we be in time to catch him? Yes, I've timed it all. He'll still be at Calais when we arrive. It sure is wonderful to have some allies. I've been half dead with the jumps thinking I was alone. I would have hugged poor Gogol if it wouldn't have given me away. You and those infernal black spectacles. <laughs> oh, isn't that a riot? <laughs> Such a simple idea. I wish I could take credit for it. Ever since I was a boy, I've wanted to work undercover, but I looked too damned respectful for it. All my fellow desk jockeys used to laugh and call me the poster boy for integrity. <laughs> it's a shame you're an honest man. You could have made a fortune as a criminal. <laughs> the idea of the dark spectacles actually came from the chief of the force. He said children will scream at the sight of me, and he was right. But that wasn't the strangest part of it. What's that? The chief has never even seen me at all. I thought you spoke to him. I did. But we only talked in a pitch-black room, dark as a tomb. <laughs> I bet you'd never have guessed that. No, I could not have conceived it. Indeed, it is a new idea. Before we could even catch our bearings, we were already on the Calais boat headed for France. Once we're there, how do we go about detaining them? Theoretically, I suppose, we should call the police. We are the police. We can handle this on our own. Besides, Sunday already suspects more of us as spies. If he smells the police, he'll disappear, and we'll never be able to catch him. Plus, well, I gave my word that I wouldn't. It's silly, I know, but he was a decent man. Perhaps the only decent anarchist there is. Damn that oath! Don't devalue your word of honor. I myself am in the same boat. You see, when I was a performer, I was a sort of all-round beast. Perjury or treason is the only crime I haven't committed. If I did that, I shouldn't know the difference between right and wrong. I gave my word to the secretary. You know, with the upside-down smile. I swear. That man must be the most utterly unhappy human being on the planet. I don't know if it's his digestion or his conscience or his philosophy. 
but he's damned to hell. And I can't turn on a man like that. I know it sounds crazy, but... It's not crazy. I knew you'd be like that when you first... What? When you first took off your spectacles. <laughs> the fact is that we three are alone on this planet. On the Council, we are three against three, but they are better off because they can get help from their organization, and we can't. As well as the fact that... One of those three men is not a man. My idea is this. We must do something to keep the Marquis in Calais till tomorrow midday. We cannot denounce him as a dynamiter. That is agreed. We cannot pretend to keep him on anarchist business. We are supposed to share his priorities. We might try to kidnap him and lock him up ourselves, but he has a whole bodyguard of friends. He is very strong and brave, and the event is doubtful. The only thing I can see to do is to take advantage of the Marquis's status as a nobleman in high society and send him to the hospital. What are you suggesting? We shoot him? No. I was thinking of something more civilized. What the devil are you talking about? The Symes are first mentioned in the 14th century, but there is a tradition that one of them rode behind Bruce at Bannockburn. Since 1350, the tree is quite clear. He's gone off his head. Our bearings are Argenta Chevron jewels charged with three cross crosslets of the field. The motto varies. Are you seasick or just joking in the wrong place? My remarks are almost painfully practical. The house of St. Eustache is also very ancient. The Marquis cannot deny that he is a gentleman. He cannot deny that I am a gentleman. And in order to put the matter of my social position quite beyond a doubt, I propose at the earliest opportunity to knock his hat off. Here we are in the harbour. We went ashore under the strong sun. I led them along a kind of marine parade until we came to a cluster of cafes overlooking the sea. Sword stick in hand, I pulled the blade from its rigid sheath. If you're proposing what I think you are, then we can just turn around now because the Tsar is as good as dead. As are we. Shh, shh. There he is. The Marquis, eating lunch, just as I said. Let's just sit here where we won't be seen. Waiter, a bottle of Saumur, if you please. Oh, just what we need to feed your raving lunacy. I've written out a plan here. Of the conversation which shall ensue between myself and the deadly Marquis. You seem to have spent some time on this. I shall approach. Before taking off his hat, I shall take off my own. I shall say, the Marquis de Saint Eustache, I believe, he will say, the celebrated Mr. Syme, I presume, he will say in the most exquisite French, how are you? I shall reply in the most exquisite Cockney, oh, just the Syme. Oh, shut it. Pull yourself together and chuck away that bit of paper. What are you really going to do? But it was a lovely catechism. Do let me read it for you. It has only 43 questions and answers, and some of the Marquis' answers are wonderfully witty. I like to be just to my enemy. But what's the good of it all? It leads up to my challenge, don't you see? When the Marquis is given the 39th reply, which runs... Has it, by any chance, 
occurred to you that the Marquis may not say all the 43 things that you were put down for him? <gasps> In that case, I understand your own epigrams may appear somewhat more forced. Why, how true that is! And I never thought of it, sir! You have an intellect beyond the common. You shall make a name. Oh, you're as drunk as an owl! Since the course of a dialogue cannot be predicted by one of its parties alone, as you have pointed out with such recondite acumen, the only thing to be done, I suppose, is for the one party, as far as possible, to do all the dialogue by himself. And so I will, by George. What if you kill him? Then we still achieve our goal. And if he kills you, what then? Are you ready to die for this? That is, after all, what we all signed up for in that dark room. We were all charged with martyrdom. I take that charge seriously. The music reminded me of the barrel organ in Leicester Square, to the tune of which I once stood up to die. The Marquis sat at a little table with two companions, solemn Frenchmen in frock coats and silk hats, one of them with the red rosette of the Legion of Honor, evidently people of a solid social position. Are you going to address the meeting? <clears throat> I am. That meeting, that meeting displeases me. I am going to pull that meeting's great, ugly, mahogany-colored nose. You are Mr. Syme, I think? And you are the Marquis de Saint-Eustache? Permit me to pull your nose. What's a devil? Good Lord, what is the meaning of this? This man has insulted me. Insulted you? When? Oh, just now. He insulted my mother. <gasps> insulted your mother? Anyhow, my aunt. Mon Dieu, qu'est-ce qu'il se passe ici? Ah, it was what he said. I said nothing at all, except something about the band. I only said that I liked Wagner played well. It was an allusion to my family. My aunt played Wagner badly. It was a painful subject. We are always being insulted about it. Oh, this seems most extraordinary. Oh, I assure you, the whole of your conversation was simply packed with sinister allusions to my aunt's weaknesses. It seems to me, my good man, that you are simply seeking a pretext to insult the Marquis. By George, what a clever chap you are. Seeking a fight with me? By God! There was never a man who had to seek long. There are still four hours of daylight. Let us fight this evening. This gentleman will act for me. Marquis, your action is worthy of your fame and blood. Permit me to consult for a moment with the gentleman in whose hands I shall place myself. Hello! I have fixed a fight on the beast, but look here and listen carefully. There is no time for talk. You are my seconds, and everything must come from you. Now, you must absolutely insist on the duel coming off after 7 tomorrow, so as to give me the chance of preventing him from catching the 7.45 for Paris. If he misses that, he misses his crime. He can't refuse to meet you on such a small point of time and place, but this is what he will do. He will choose a field somewhere near a wayside station where he can pick up the train. He is a very good swordsman, and he will trust to killing me in time to catch it, but I can fence well too, and I think I can keep him in play at yes, until the train is lost. Then perhaps he may kill me to console his feelings. You understand? Good. All right. Very well, then. Let me introduce you to some charming friends of mine. This is 
<clears throat> Admiral Worms and my man, Mr. Bolton. Pleased to make your acquaintance. I'm afraid my good friend, Mr. Syme, is unable to engage this afternoon. We must insist that we reconvene in the morning. Look here, the Marquis must be finished with his business before dinner. Tomorrow is not an option. Then he must forfeit the fight to Mr. Syme. It is impossible for us otherwise. This is preposterous. Excuse us while we consult privately for a moment. If this works, I will swallow my beard. Since you insist on tomorrow, we must insist on the hour of seven in the morning at a location of our determining. Make it a quarter after seven. Where is your preferred location? There is a small meadow, not far from the railway station. The fight will take place in that field. We will not negotiate on that point. Then I think we have a settlement. With the morning, the Marquis arrived at the Field of Honor without any hint of anxiety about a journey. His hands were in his pockets, his straw hat on the back of his head, his handsome face brazen in the sun. His seconds carried the sword case, and two servants carried a portmanteau and a luncheon basket. Early as was the hour, the sun soaked everything in warmth, illuminating an army of spring flowers, burning gold and silver in the tall grass in which we stood almost knee-deep. I suggest that the play should terminate with the first considerable hurt. Nonsense! We insist that the engagement continue until one of the combatants is disabled. You are all madmen! The argument does not warrant this type of play. To a man of the well-known skill and valor of Monsieur de Saint-Eustache, it must be a matter of indifference which method is adopted. Pest! Let us stop talking and begin. Then begin we shall. Since you have such impatience with civil discussion... I looked over my shoulder to see whether the train was in sight, but there was no smoke on the horizon. Your sword, sir. Finally! Monsieur Sam? A fine weapon for disabling my opponent. I thank you, my good man. Please, follow me to your place. Salut! Engage! All my fantastic fears fell from me like dreams from a man waking up. First, the fear of the professor had been the fear of the tyrannical accidents of nightmare. Then the fear of the doctor had been the fear of the airless vacuum of science. The first was that any miracle might happen. The second, that no miracle can ever happen. But now I was in the presence of the great fact of the fear of death. For as soon as the sunlight ran down the channel of my foe's sharpened blade, I knew that my enemy was a terrific fighter. And that most likely... My last hour had come. Look at him. He's parrying his enemy's point with clockwork skill. I would not have expected it. Marquis is very yeah. determined. Look like he scratched us on the wrist. I think I see blood. He's none the worse, though. Did our blade just enter the Marquis? I'm not sure. There isn't any blood on it on his shirt. What's he glancing at? You risk much looking back over your shoulder against you hardly. Look! There's smoke on the horizon. The Paris train is coming. That's your little fire and lucky. He's got him. That one went deep. I saw Gabriel's sword bend on the weight. Yet he's still fighting as if nothing had happened. Impossible! There's no blood on his sword. <laughs> yeah! 
Oh, he caught him below the jaw, but there's still no blood. Oh, and now the cheek that should have been a bloody scar. Something is very wrong here. Three times had a human sword been driven into him and made no mark. Either this man lived a charmed life or he was the devil. Perhaps I have been chosen as a champion of all humanity to cross swords with the enemy of all creation. After all, I am more than a devil. I am a man. I can do the one thing which Satan himself cannot do. I can die. Stop! I want to say something. What is the matter? Has there been foul play? There has been foul play somewhere. Our principal has wounded the Marquis four times at least, and he is none the worse. Let me speak. Mr. Syme, we are fighting today, if I remember right, because you expressed a wish to pull my nose. Would you oblige me by pulling my nose now as quickly as possible? I have to catch a train. I, I protest that this is most irregular. It is certainly somewhat opposed to precedent. Will you or will you not pull my nose? Come, come, Mr. Syme. You wanted to do it? Do it. You can have no conception of how important it is to me. Don't be so selfish. Pull my nose at once, I beg you. If you insist. Oh. What is this? It came off in his hand. If anyone has any use for my left eyebrow, he can have it. Colonel Ducroix, do accept my left eyebrow. <gasps> Why, if I had known that I was acting for a poltroon who pads himself to fight. Oh, I know. I know. There are lots of parts to remove, like this arm fat. And this little pot belly. <laughs> I wish I had time to explain. But I tell you, the train has come into the station. Yes, and the train shall go out of the station. It shall go out without you. We know well enough for what devils were. Will you drive me mad? The train... You shall not go by the train. Put on your sword, you great, fat, blear-eyed, blundering, thundering, brainless, godforsaken, doddering, damned fool! You great, silly, pink-faced, tow-headed turnip! You... you shall not go by this train! And why the infernal blazes should I want to go by the train? We know all. You are going to Paris to throw a bomb. Going to Jericho to throw a jabberwock? Here, have my hair. Have you all got softening of the brain that you don't realize who I am? Did you really think I wanted to catch that train? Twenty Paris trains might go by for me, eh? Damn Paris trains. Then what did you care about? What did I care about? I didn't care about catching the train. I cared about whether the train caught me, and now, by God, it has caught me. Sunday has us now in the hollow of his hand. Us? What do you mean by us? The police, of course. Here, the rest of my face. Oh, You can see clearly who I am. Why, why, he's not a man at all. Brilliant observation. Never send a man to do a woman's work. I am Inspector Ratcliffe. I'm fairly infamous among the police, and I can see well enough that you belong to them. But if you still have doubts, I have a card. Oh, don't bother. We've got enough to start a bonfire. 
I demand to know what is going on here. Explain yourselves before I turn the lot of you over to the police. Gentlemen, there's no time to properly explain. The disguises are a function of our occupation. We are all undercover agents charged with the infiltration of a secret society of terrorists and anarchists. They are hunting us down just as they desire to destroy all of humanity. If you are with us, we would gladly accept your help. No, but Josh. If these gentlefolk are really in a mess with a lot of low wreckers like that, I'll see them through it. I have fought for France, and it is hard if I can't fight for civilization. Don't make too much noise. Sunday may hear you. Sunday? Yes, he may be with them. With whom? With the people out of that train. What you say seems utterly wild. Why, as a matter of fact... But my God! By God! If this is true... The whole bally lot of us on the Anarchist Council were against anarchy. Every born man was a detective except the president and his personal secretary. What can it mean? Mean? It means that we are struck dead. Don't you know, Sunday? Don't you know that his jokes are always so big and simple that one has never thought of them? Can you think of anything more like Sunday than this? That he should put all his powerful enemies on the Supreme Council and then take care that it was not supreme. I tell you, he has bought every trust. He has captured every cable. He has control of every railway line, especially of that railway line. The whole movement was controlled by him. Half the world was ready to rise for him, but there were just five people who could have resisted him and the old devil put them on the Supreme Council to waste their time in watching each other. God knows what real plans he was making while we were running after each other like a lot of confounded babies playing blind man's buff. Well? He has probably captured the world. It only remains to him to capture this field and all the fools in it. And since you really want to know what was my objection to the arrival of that train, I will tell you. My objection was that Sunday or his secretary just this moment got out of it. Uh. It was a habit of the late Marquis de Saint-Eustache always to carry a pair of opera glasses. Either the president or the secretary is coming after us with that mob. They have caught us in a nice quiet place, far from any hope of help from our fellow police. Let me see those glasses. They'll work far better than mine. Can't be as bad as you say. There are a good number of them, certainly. But they may easily be ordinary tourists. Do ordinary tourists wear black masks halfway down the face? Give those to me. Most of them look ordinary enough. But it's true. Two or three of the leaders in front are wearing black half-masks almost down to their mouths. I can't tell who they are, but one of them is smiling on only one side. The president is not with them, anyhow. Of course the president isn't with them. I wish to Gemini he were. More likely the president is riding in triumph through Paris or sitting on the ruins of St. Paul's Cathedral. This is absurd. Something may have happened in our absence, but he cannot have carried the world with a rush like that. True, there is a crowd coming, but it's hardly a valuable force. No, we are not much in Sunday's universe. To kill the Supreme Council he regards as a trivial matter, like a postcard. It may be left to his private secretary. <coughs> there is a great deal to be said for death, but if anyone has any preference for the alternative, I strongly advise him to follow me. We dove into the cool shadows of a nearby wooded area. 
Inside, the shafts of sunlight caused our faces to come in and out of the darkness, like a dance of dark and light. The shadows caused me to imagine that we all were wearing masks. This chiaroscuro chaos was a perfect symbol of this world in which men took off their beards and their spectacles and their noses and turned into other people. I felt a certain strength when I believed that the Marquis was a devil, but that has evaporated now that I know he's a friend. What is a friend and what is an enemy? Was there anything that truly was what it seemed? Might any of us pull off our face to become evil again? I had to pull myself out of my head. May I ask where on earth we are all going to? We'll go down through the town of Lancy to the sea. I think that area is the least likely to be controlled by Sunday. What do you say? The anarchists own the town? Don't doubt it. No, no. Once we find some decent townsfolk, maybe a couple of landowners, they'll fight for us. I don't think you truly understand how far-reaching Sunday's grasp is. The wealthy are his biggest supporters. The poor have sometimes been rebels, but the working class really are the ones with a stake in this country. The rich man hasn't. He can go away to New Guinea in a yacht. The poor have sometimes objected to being governed badly. The rich have always objected to being governed at all. I bet my nose that Sunday would be hard-pressed to convert any ordinary healthy person to an anarchist. It depends on what sort of person you mean. Well, for instance, he could never convert that person. We came to a small clearing back into the open sunlight. In the middle was a figure burnt by the sun and stained with perspiration. A heavy French peasant tending to a corral of horses. Mr. Syme is saying that this man at least will never be an anarchist. <laughs> Monsieur Syme is right enough there. If only for the reason that he has plenty of property to defend. But I forgot that in your country, you are not used to peasants being wealthy. <laughs> he looks poor. Quite so. That is why he is rich. He's also the only place within 20 miles in which we can get horses. How much would he take to give us all horses? Those dogs are all on foot and we could soon leave them behind. Oh, give him anything. I have piles of money on me. Oh, that will never do. He will never have any respect for you unless you drive a bargain. Oh, if he haggles... If he haggles because he is a free man. He wouldn't see the meaning of generosity. He's not being tipped. I'll go speak to him. The French colonel talked to the horse rancher as if he were bickering at a market stall. Meanwhile, the rest of us stared past the woods, where the square black mob was moving like one monstrous beetle. That mass of men looks common enough. Dark clothes and plain hats. The riddle as to where the anarchists got all these followers is still unsolved. What is certain is that one man leads them, and that's the deformed smile of the secretary. But they don't sprawl and trail out like an ordinary mob. They move with a sort of dreadful and wicked woodenness, like a staring army of automatons. Yes, that's discipline. That's Sunday. He is perhaps 500 miles off, but the fear of him is on all of them, like the finger of God. Let's get these horses and put them far behind us. That's it, then. He's received a proper fee. This way. The afternoon sun was slanting westward, and by its rays I could see the sturdy figure of the old rancher growing smaller and smaller, but still standing and looking after us quite silently. This was, indeed, perhaps, the last honest stranger whom I would ever see upon the earth. But behind him, over the top of the hill, appeared the army of black-clad marching men. 
They seem to hang above the good man and his house like a dark cloud of locusts. We'll soon regain our advantage over the mob. I can see the town at the bottom of this hill. First, we should stop at that house up there. It could be useful to us. We can't take the risk. Nobody's trustworthy now. Four out of five rich men in this town are thieves, yes. But the fifth is a friend of mine, Dr. Renard. He's a good man and can lend us a motor car. I'm afraid we hardly have time for afternoon calls. Dr. Renard's house is only one minute off. Our danger is not two minutes off. We must ride on fast to leave them behind. He has a motor car! But we may not get it! Oh, yes, he is quite on your side. But he might be out! Hold your tongue. What is that noise? They have horses. Oh, they have done us. Prepare to receive cavalry. Where can they have got the horses? I was speaking with strict accuracy when I said that our rancher was the only place to get horses within 20 miles. No, I don't believe he'd do it. Not him. He may have been forced, which is reason why we are all going to see my friend Renard, who has a motor car. Isn't this quite the view? You can see the ridge from here. We have five minutes at most. This is no time for civility. We should force our way in. Colonel Ducroix. Ah, my good friend, Dr. Renard. What brings you here? I'm afraid we are the targets of a rather sizable anarchist uprising. We've been fleeing on horseback, but I wonder if we might borrow a motor car or two. A general uprising of anarchists? That's not possible. It wouldn't happen. Anarchy is all childishness. Does this look childish to you? Out the window, we could see a curve of black cavalry come sweeping over the top of the hill with all the energy of Attila. One rider rode far ahead, and it was unquestionably the secretary himself. Huh? I suspect that you are all mad. But God forbid that get in the way of our friendship. To the garage! all these cars. It's a museum. Ah, yeah. I think I can spare this one for a night. Don't you have anything a bit more up to date? She's fine. Any of these are faster than a horse. Good luck. But be careful. I can't understand why this grows so dark. Going to be a storm, I think. Dead. We may be as well. It's the secretary. Hold! Do not move! You knocked him down! Go! Go! <laughs> was I not right, huh? When I said that Dr. Renard was worth knowing. You were. Uh, we are in the clear now for sure. Don't celebrate yet. I won't feel safe till we're at the police station. Just pray that they're on our side. Now that's ridiculous. If you really think that ordinary people, policemen even, are anarchists, then you're loonier than the secretary. I bet if we turned and fought these men right now, the whole town would fight for us. I'm sorry, you're wrong. The town would fight for them. You'll see. Closer behind us than we think. It was not the sound of horses, and it was not behind us. 
those are Dr. Reynard's cars. Impossible! They were his. There's no way Dr. Reynard would have given them cars. The whole town is on their side. You still believe that? You will all believe it soon. These are normal people with families and jobs and children to feed. There's no way that they... You were saying? Unbelievable! I see lights up ahead. We'll be at the police station soon. No. We'll never get there. What? I hate it when I'm right. No. Forget it. A a crowd like that doesn't mean... They must be at a party or something. I will not believe that plain, happy people are terrorists. Move closer. What did I tell you? That crowd is as law-abiding as a cow. They're on our side. How do you know? What? Are you blind? Look who's leading them. Ah, oh, hey, it's Renard. Of course, he's come out to help us, this silly old man. Dr. Renard! He shot at me. Convinced yet? No. No, I'm, I'm convinced that I'm about to wake up in a white padded room wearing a straitjacket. Amazing that you'll question your own sanity before questioning humanity. You were wrong about Renard. I suspected him from the start. They're advancing on us. This must be a practical joke. If you knew Renard like I do, you'd know it's like calling the Pope a terrorist. The Pope didn't put a bullet through Dr. Bull's hat. I'm going to talk to him. Clear up this whole mess. What's your hurry? He'll soon explain it to all of us. He's going to shoot the Colonel, too. Or not. That, That was a close one. This is pointless. I'll never trust that old goat. I vote we drive right through and take a few of them out with us. No, give the man a chance. Let's turn around then. There's a crowd behind us as well. Oh, hell. And who's this? Gabriel? I believe it's your friend from the horse ranch. What? That's right. And he's leading the angry mob right this way. No, the morning star has fallen. The world is insane. No, I am. What are we going to do? This moment, I think we're going to smash into a lamppost. Ah! Well, at least we smashed something. Now you're becoming an anarchist. Everyone is. They're coming closer! We have one more chance. Whatever all this pandemonium means, the police will have to come to our aid. We can't get to the station, but there's a pier that runs out into the sea just here, which we could defend longer than anything else, like Horatius and his bridge. We must defend it till the police turn out. Keep after me. Here they come! We could see in their faces an organized hate, though we knew not why. The black mass poured over the embankments onto the beach, and even some into the water. Hurry! Don't worry about me. The police will be saved. They're going to fire on the mob! Thank God. Right! Drop your weapons! You idiots! They're going to shoot us! My God, the police are anarchists too. Let's take cover behind this boat! Crazy or not, we'll all be dead soon. You are quite hopeless, then? No. 
This may sound strange, but I can't let go of one silly shred of hope. Hope in what? In a man I never saw. I know what you mean. The man in the dark room. But Sunday must have killed him by now. Maybe. Though he must have been the only man Sunday found difficult to kill. I too am holding strong to the hope of the man I never saw. Wait a minute. Where's that colonel? What was his name? Yes, what happened to him? He went to speak with Dr. Renard. Is he all right? I wouldn't worry about him. He looks perfectly content. No. 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 Not him too. I don't believe it. Then believe your eyes. He's with them. Two or three figures started cautiously down the stone footway. The glare of a lantern showed the secretary with his black half-mask and twisted smile. The other was the red face and white moustache of Colonel Ducroix. Everything is lost. I can't even trust myself. I fear my own hand will fly up and hit me in the face. When my hand flies up, it will surely strike someone else. The bullet knocked down an old-fashioned iron lantern onto the dock. I picked it up and held it high above my head, swinging it like a ball and chain. Judas before Herod! Well, we've lost him now. At least he took out the colonel. Do you see this lantern? Do you see the cross carved on it and the flame inside? You did not make it. You did not light it. Better men than you, men who could believe and obey, twisted the entrails of iron and preserved a legend of fire. There is not a street you walk on, there is not a thread you wear that was not made like this lantern was. By denying your philosophy of death and destruction, you can make nothing. You can only destroy. You will destroy mankind, you will destroy the world, but this one old Christian lantern you will not destroy. It will go where your empire of apes will never have the wit to find it. Ready your swords. Let's charge these dogs. For our time has come to die. Wait. Wait. There must be some mistake. Mr. Syme, I don't think you understand your position. I arrest you in the name of the law. Of the law? Of course, the law. I am an undercover detective for the police. As you can see, here is my car. And what do you suppose we are? You are, as I know for a fact, members of the Supreme Anarchist Council. Disguised as one of you, I... Brilliant. There was never any Supreme Anarchist Council. We were all a lot of silly policemen hunting each other down, and all these nice people who have been shooting at us thought we were the anarchists. I knew I couldn't be wrong about them. Vulgar people are never mad. I know, because I'm vulgar myself. Come on, I'm going to go drink this horrible night away. Right behind you.
Last Thursday was written and directed by Andrew Walquist, based on the novel by G.K. Chesterton. This episode featured performances by Jacob Sidney, Stephen Allen Carver, William Dennis Hunt, Lisa Volpe, Gregory Gifford-Giles, Mark Bramhall, and Rob Fox. The music was composed and arranged by David Stanton. A full list of credits, special thanks, and sound effects can be found at our website, www.manwhoisthursday.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the final episode of The Man Who Was Thursday. Thank you.